Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 74. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 15, the Council of Jerusalem, and we'll see how much further we get past that. So unless you're driving, turn to Acts chapter 15. We introduced that subject at the end of last class, but there's a controversy, right, in this in this new church, the Universal Church, and we saw that Paul, even though he was in Antioch, which is 300 miles north of Jerusalem, uh, decided not to start his own, you know, I mean, he didn't decide, he knew he couldn't just start his own church or whatever, so he goes down to Jerusalem, this first council of the church, and we've had many since then. The most recent uh, ecumenical council was, we know, of Vatican II, okay? So he goes there because what is going to be decided there is going to be for the full church. And I might add, you will notice as we go through this, the Old Testament scripture is not the deciding factor in should uh, the dietary laws of the old covenant, the Jewish people, be applied to the new believers who are Gentiles? Okay, they don't. Uh, they don't consult the Old Testament. They don't have to. Why? Because there's a new sheriff in town, right? Jesus has set up the church and given that church the, the keys to the kingdom and the power to bind and loose. So the church now gets to decide not what was written in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, some Protestants will, will uh, most Protestants will say the Bible alone is all you need. Well, where is the relaxation of diet of Jewish dietary restrictions uh, in the New Testament? It's not, and it doesn't have to be, and that's why. Okay, enough said. Um, whatever the church decides is going to be the deal for the whole Christian world, the, the, the newly forming Christian world. So they're debating this issue about uh, should the... Uh, the uh, new Christians, the Gentiles, have to keep the Jewish um, dietary laws. And it says in verse 7, after much debate had taken place, who got up and started and spoke for the group? You guessed it, Peter. Always Peter who speaks for the group. So Peter got up and said to them, my brothers, you are well aware that from early days God made his choice among you that through my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Through my mouth. I would circle the words through my mouth. Okay. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness by granting them the Holy Spirit. There he is again, just as he did us. He made no distinction between us and them. In other words, Gentile or Jew. For by faith he purified their hearts. Why then are you now putting God to the test by placing on the shoulders of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? You know, the, the dietary restrictions. So Peter is saying, hey, I got it. I got this message from the Holy Spirit. Let's lose the dietary restrictions. 
He goes on and says, On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they. Verse 12, the whole assembly fell silent. Okay, so like Peter speaks and they're all quiet for a minute, right? It's kind of like those old commercials for E.F. Hutton, you know, where, you know, E.F. Uh, representative of E.F. Hutton says, well, E.F. Hutton says, and then in the commercial, everybody's quiet, okay? Because they know he's, he's the boss. So uh, the whole assembly fell silent and they then they listened while Paul and Barnabas described the signs and wonders God had worked among the Gentiles through them. After they had fallen silent, James responded, because James is kind of the host, if you will. Now, he's not the apostle, James. He is the relative, if you will, of Jesus. Someone who actually denied uh, that Jesus was God until after he saw him in the uh, in the res in the resurrection. Okay, so that's who that James is, and he's the host, if you will. So Peter made the big speech, and then uh, James responds, uh, and he says, "Hey." Peter has described how God first concerned himself with acquiring from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And um, so he says, the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. And then you have uh, verse 16 through 18, which I won't read to you, but I will summarize. It's it's talking about the Gentiles coming coming in you know, being, uh, you know, to the people of God. And that, if you like, you can make a notation in your margins between 16 and 18. That's from uh, the Old Testament prophet Amos. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. And this is written about, uh, you know, in its original form, maybe 800 years bef uh, before Christ has come. Okay. So, uh, but here it is, fast forward 800 years, and it's happening. The Gentiles are coming in. And so uh, James says in verse 19, It's my judgment, therefore, that we ought to stop troubling the Gentiles who turn to God, but tell them by letter to avoid pollution from idols. Okay, don't, don't worship idols. Uh, unlawful marriage, so like don't marry your sister or your mother. And uh, don't eat the meat of strangled animals and blood. So, uh, so that's it. So they draft a letter, and um, they and in that letter, they they're going to give it to Paul and Barnabas, who are going to take it back to uh, to Antioch, right? And uh, and thence to the world. And in verse 28, it says, in that letter, it says, it is the decision of the Holy Spirit and of us not to place on you any burden beyond these necessities. So then uh, we, we've got that. So Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch and it's, it's all good. All right, so that's the first church council. Big decision there. Now we're going to see uh, a second church, excuse me, a second uh, missionary journey by Paul. But, uh, you know, Paul said, hey, uh, verse 36, 
Come, let us make a return visit to see how the brothers are getting on in all the cities where we proclaim the word of the Lord. All you know, you'll recall in the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went where? To what is went from what is today Syria to what is today Turkey and visited with a number of cities. And you have a map that you can look at that uh, explains those places. So they're going to go back to Turkey and uh, ultimately they'll go even, even further. But it says in verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take with them also John, who was called Mark. Now, do you remember John who was called Mark? Well, it, in, uh, he went with them on their first missionary journey, but he apparently got a little homesick or something. And he left them in the lurch, if you will, and, and returned home. Um, so he had uh, deserted them at Pamphylia in the first missionary journey and who had not continued with them in their work. You can read about that in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. We just covered that last week, I think. So sharp was their disagreement, you know, between Paul and Barnabas about whether John Mark should come with them, that they separated. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed uh, after being commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, bringing strength to the churches. So we got a little controversy here. Paul says, let's go. Barnabas says, let's take uh, John Mark. Paul says, forget it. That guy's a quitter. Not going with him. The, uh, Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement and they go their separate ways. But somehow God can turn negativity into a positive result, right? Because instead of Paul and Barnabas going to one place, or I should say on, in one direction, they split up, they go their separate ways, and Barnabas is able to preach the word in Cyprus, which he would not have otherwise. So even bad things work out for good. They just don't seem like that at the time. So now we're into chapter 16, and uh, you'll recall that he had previously been to places called uh, Lystra, um, and there was a disciple named Timothy. Now, circle Timothy. Timothy is not a Jewish name. Timothy was had a Gentile father, and it says he's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Um, and uh, the brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him, also in Turkey. And Paul wanted him to come along with them. On account of the Jews of that region, Paul had him circumcised. Well, wait a minute. I thought they said at the Council of Jerusalem, hey, uh, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. That probably will help church growth because, you know, the Gentiles are grown men and the idea of circumcision, if you know what that is, uh, probably would have put a damper, if you will, on uh, the, the possibility of growing the church. But, um, and by the way, they didn't have good anesthesia back then either. Regardless, uh, Paul decided to have Timothy circumcised. Why? Well, because Timothy is going to be talking to 
not just the people of the, not just the Gentiles, but to Jewish potential converts as well. And probably one of the first questions they're going to have is, are you a true Jew? Were you circumcised? And Timothy doesn't want to lie about that. So he's going to say, yes, I was. And it's not necessary anymore, but I had it done anyway. So sometimes, you know, in our, in our own Christian life, uh, we have rights to do things, but we may choose to set aside that right to make an example for other people. For example, you have right to drink alcohol as a Christian, okay? But if somebody is a really weak brother, perhaps an alcoholic, you might set aside that right so as to not negatively influence uh, your, your friend, right? So it was not a requirement but it was it was a helpful thing for the ministry so ask yourself who in my life needs me to change something not cuz i really need to change it but because it's a bad example for them okay uh it says as they travel verse let's see what do we got here verse 5 as they traveled from city to city they handed on the people for observance the decisions reached by the apostles and presbyters in Jerusalem. So just like today, right? Now, of course, we have mass media and the church can say, here is our pronouncement on this issue, you know, birth control, whatever. And um, so again, it's the idea of one church, one universal church, many locations, but one church. And then uh, we see that... Um, they had been prevented by the Holy Spirit, this is in verse 6, from preaching the message in the province of Asia at that time. So sometimes the Holy Spirit says, hey, I know you want to do this thing, but don't do it right now, okay? That's why we want to listen to that inner voice that is the Holy Spirit. Um, and so um, Paul had a vision in verse 9 a Macedonian, that's in Greece, Macedonia, stood before him and implored him with these words, come over to Macedonia and help us. And here we see uh, Paul deciding, okay, in for a penny, in for a pound, we're going to go to into Europe, specifically Greece. They hadn't been to Greece before. And uh, so you're going to have a map um, uh, for this session as well, which will detail the travels of Paul's second missionary journey, where he first goes, you know, into, uh, into Turkey, visits some of those churches there, right? And uh, try to make sure they're on sound footing and encourage them. That's how he got uh, Timothy, etc. And then they're going to go into uncharted territory, at least for them, into Greece and try to spread the, the word there. So um, there they go into Europe. And um, as Luke is recording, because he's, he's kind of a, at this point, he's a traveling companion uh, of Paul. And in verse 16, he says, as we were going to the place of prayer, this is in Philippi, which is in Greece, we met a slave girl with a spirit who used to bring a large profit to her owners through her fortune tellers. 
so she could kind of tell the, the future with an oracular spirit. She could see the future. But she began to follow Paul and us, shouting, These people are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She did this for many days. Paul became annoyed. If you, As we learn more about Paul, we can see he gets annoyed a lot. Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Then it came out at that moment. So she could no longer tell the future. Okay. Now, up until now, there hasn't really been a problem, right? Now there's a problem. Verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, circled the word profit in verse 19, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the public square uh, before the local authorities. So no good deed goes unpunished, right? They cast out a spirit out of this woman, you know, a devilish spirit, if you will, that allowed her to predict the future. And, uh, you know, the, Paul and Barnabas and Luke had no issue with the people. The people had no issue with them, with, Paul, with those three before that. But as soon as it affects somebody's business, um, you know, this, uh, get, this slave girl losing her power, now they're upset. And uh, so they, they're thrown into prison. But long story short, they are delivered in, uh, from prison. Uh, the doors flew open. The chains are all uh, fell loose. There was a severe earthquake. And uh, the guard's about to kill himself because, you know, the prisoners are going to escape. But uh, Paul shouted out in a loud voice, Do not do harm for yourself. Do no harm for yourself. We are all here. He asked for a light and rushed in, and the, the jailer asked for a light and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Because they could have run away, but they didn't. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Okay, and the answer in verse 31, the three said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and your you and your household will be saved. So we we've talked ad nauseum about the definition of belief. Belief is a life changed. Basically, Paul is saying, get into the wheelbarrow if you remember that story with Jesus, and trust him to to push and to direct your paths. Okay, it's not an intellectual assent. So. Um, you know, we agree with every word in the Bible, but we disagree with some interpretations that other non-Catholics would ascribe to the, the verses in the Bible. And uh, so then what does he what does he do? It says, then he and all his family were baptized at once. This is in verse 33. So that suggests that uh you know, perhaps the, the jailer had, had small children who would have been baptized as well. So, you know, it doesn't say that they had a big theological uh, discussion with the family. It's just, it's like, okay, kids, we're going to get baptized. The seed is going to be planted. The Holy Spirit is going to be planted in you through your baptism. And once again, we see how bad events can uh, affect uh, in a good way, the church. Here, Paul is imprisoned, and because 
of the earthquake and, you know, the chains falling off and him staying there when he could have run away, he actually made converts, you know, of this Philippian jailer and his family. So I think that's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, so then the magistrates in verse 38, they became alarmed when they heard that, that uh, Paul was a Roman citizen and was thrown into prison without uh, being, uh, um, you know, without being tried. And um, they, uh, the, the leaders placated Paul and Silas and led them out and asked that they leave the city. Okay. And so uh, it ends up being a very positive trip. So sometimes, you know, you might be thrown in your own prison of sorts, but God can use that for the good of the kingdom. Uh, but we're out of time now, so we'll come back next time and pick up on Paul to the Thessalonians. Uh, let's pray first, though, that um, we too find our dear Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pardon the bad beginning of that prayer. Um, we we let's pray that we too can. Uh, make good things happen out of bad circumstances for you. Mm -hmm.